Renegades do the thing that we've been talking about for the last three weeks. Renegades rise strong. And today we're going to get into the meat of what it means to rise strong, the first step of which is the reckoning, it's called. And the reckoning can mean a lot of things, right? If you're a sailor, for example, reckoning refers to dead reckoning, which is the determination of where in the world you are, literally, where in the world am I? Determining where you've been, how you got to the place that you are right now, calculating speed, course, wind, all of that. And understand this, unless you reckon, you're never going to be able to plot a new course to where you want to be. This reckoning deal is really, really important. I've got some tough news for you, though. It's not the sailing kind of reckoning that we're going to take up together today. Sorry. It'd be way easier if it were. Instead, we're going to talk today about the emotional kind of reckoning. You up for that? The emotional kind of reckoning. And I've been living my own life for 41 years. I've been watching people live theirs for a whole bunch of those years. I'm a sociologist by training. And I don't think that anybody ever sets out to go on any kind of emotional adventure. I don't think anybody ever intends to go on an emotional roller coaster kind of adventure. Now, I think a lot of us are up for a lot of different kinds of adventure. We crave adventure. But emotional adventure isn't something that I think people set out to go on. Who in the world would choose that? Why would you choose that? 
However, something happens. We all get kicked. Every one of us gets kicked into unwanted emotional adventures. Anytime we get hurt, we fall down, we get our butt kicked, we mess up, our heart gets broken, disappointment comes crashing through our front door, and bam, here comes an emotional adventure that none of us was ever looking for, but somehow, doggone it, it found us. And that's when this opportunity for a reckoning of the emotional sort begins, and it happens to every one of us. And it doesn't matter that it isn't what we went looking for. It doesn't matter that it just sinks us. It doesn't matter that it leaves you feeling face down in the middle of the arena, bloodied, tear-stained, wounded. It happened. It happens. Hurt happens. And here's the choice we have in those moments. Who's going to write the rest of the story? Who's going to write the rest of your story? Is it going to be you or is it going to be someone else? And the deal is that if someone else writes your story, it's going to leave you living on the outside of your very own story, doing the thing that never helps. We talked about it last week, hustling for your worth. It leaves us hustling to prove I'm worthy, I'm good enough, I'm strong enough. Hustling. And I know it's really tempting to let others write our story, right? Lingering on the outskirts of an I got my butt kicked story can be a lot easier we're removed from the emotion. It makes, us easier. it makes it easier for us to protect ourselves, to insulate ourselves from the carnage that comes with our tough, brutal stories in particular. The cost, however, is great. We'll never face the underlying emotion of our own lived experiences and therefore miss the opportunity to integrate all of that learning into our lives for the next time we get our butts kicked, which is coming, by the way. We're never in the clear. It's coming. And anytime we reckon with our emotion, it means that we go to the original root of the meaning of the word reckon, which is that we make an account. We narrate or we make an account of our emotions. There's two parts to emotional reckoning. Let's start with number one. It's when you very simply engage with your feelings. It's when you actually, and this will be difficult for a whole bunch of us, me included. It's when you actually say, oh, I'm feeling something right now. Any of you have difficulty doing that? Oh, I'm feeling something right now. And it doesn't matter. They can be small feelings. Maybe just a part of a button gets pushed. Maybe it's just a a minor slice of disappointment. Maybe you're just flat out angry. Your pulse rate surges. And you go, huh, something is happening here. Imagine yourself in a difficult conversation. And you notice that something is happening. You go, oh, something's up. All of a sudden, you feel like, I just want to get out of here. I don't want to endure this conversation anymore. Maybe you're in a tough conversation, and you go like, I want to punch a wall right now. Maybe you're in a tough conversation, and you go, I want Oreos, lots of Oreos, please. Maybe you're in a tough conversation, and you're you're just going, "I, I feel, and then you fill in the blank with the emotion that you're feeling. Disappointment, hurt, anger, confusion, fear. Maybe you're heart sick, you might be ashamed, vulnerable, overwhelmed in a world of hurt. Or maybe you just say it this way, my stomach is just all churned up. You engage with the emotion, you recognize that there's something going on. Now I know this sounds simple, it sounds really, really simple, and yet how many days go by, just think about the last week, how many days went by that you didn't acknowledge, you didn't engage with any emotion whatsoever. You certainly felt stuff. You just never actually engaged with it. 
We do it all the time. I do it all the time. We just breeze through stuff. It doesn't even have to be bad, hard stuff. It can be good stuff, good emotion, joy, celebration, all those things, happiness. But so many of us are just living a flat, emotional, engaged, disengaged life, not engaging in the emotion of that moment. But emotional reckoning requires us to look inward and ask the question, what am I feeling? It's you recognizing you're feeling something, anything. There's feelings in play. There's feelings in view. And we have, don't we, this nagging tendency to respond to what's going on according to what we're feeling. Right? This nagging tendency to respond according to what we're feeling, even though some of us don't even recognize that that's exactly the thing that's happening. For example, there's days when I come home from work and I might have read a crummy hard email on the way home. I might have had a hard day at the office. Perhaps the sermon isn't developing like I hoped it would. That's every single week, by the way. And I'll get home and I'll walk through the door and I'm carrying this emotion with me. It's on me. I'll walk through the door and I'll, I'll hear racket and ruckus and there'll be like kids at each other fighting and ah, right? Or I'll walk in the door and there'll be literally like 10 kids. Not many people can say that, but there'll be like 10 kids wanting something from me all at once. And I'm like, ah. And I'm short with them sometimes. And I'm impatient with them other times. I blame them sometimes. I'll get mad at them other times. I do the same thing sometimes with my wife, Dana. God, I walk in the door and I'm toting this emotional load and bruh, it just comes out, right? Anyone else? No? Me? All by myself? Okay. Recognizing our emotion means that we pay attention to, watch this, how our thinking and our feelings and our actions are all connected. They're all connected. They are not disconnected parts. They're all connected. And my kids don't deserve my being short. My kids don't deserve my being impatient. My kids don't deserve my blaming them. My kids don't deserve my getting mad at them. They didn't do anything for crying out loud. Neither does Dana. But they sometimes get it because of the emotions that are all churned up in me that don't have anything to do with anyone else. It's right here. That's it. And there's a guy from the Bible, a guy from the text of Scripture, who no doubt had a wide spectrum of emotions churned up in him. And the Scripture doesn't tell us, and I have no idea how much he was engaging with those emotions. We don't know how much emotional reckoning he was doing, but his name is Moses. And we're going to pick up the story of Moses in the book of Numbers, chapter 20, in the Old Testament of your Bible. Moses is still leading the nation of Israel out in the wilderness wandering period, and they're having quite a time, and it's not going well at all. Numbers chapter 20, starting in verse 1. In the first month of the year, the whole community of Israel arrived in the wilderness of Zin and camped at Kadesh. While they were there, Miriam died and was buried. Put a little mental placeholder right there. Miriam died and was buried. There was no water for the people to drink at that place, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. The people blamed Moses and said, If only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers. Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die along with all our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. And Moses and Aaron turned away from the people, went to the entrance of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, where they fell face down on the ground. And then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them and the Lord said to Moses, you and Aaron must take all the staff and assemble the entire community. 
As the people watch, speak to the rock over there and it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So Moses did as he was told, sorta. We put a parenthetical, sorta, right? He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. That's where Moses departs a little bit from what God told him to do. He didn't say anything about shouting at the people of Israel. Must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff. Water gushed out. The entire community and their livestock drank their fill. Moses has huge emotionally loaded stuff happening. And the text doesn't inform us whether or not he stopped to engage with the reality that he's feeling stuff. But based on how he acts, it's my firm conviction that he's acting straight out of the emotion that he's feeling in that moment. Emotion that he was feeling but wasn't recognizing. And we're going to come back to Moses, but the next step, the next stop on the rising strong journey is that once you've recognized that you're feeling something, you don't even have to have named the emotion perfectly. It's just recognition. I'm feeling something here. That's all it is. I'm feeling something here. The next step to rising strong out of the mud, out of the ashes, out of the pain is to get curious about the story behind those feelings. We're going to get curious. We're going to put on our detective hat and we're going to get curious about the story behind those feelings. And you're going to have to get real brave and you're going to have to become real vulnerable. You're going to have to get real honest and you open up this line of inquiry into what is it exactly that I'm feeling and why am I feeling the thing I'm feeling? Why? And you don't have to answer those questions perfectly either. We're not taking the SAT here. Your career doesn't hang in the balance here. It's just you getting curious, wanting to learn more. Why am I railing on everyone around me today? What exactly has me so on edge? Questions like this. How did I get to the place where I want to punch a wall? Why do I feel so overwhelmed? Why can't I get over that conversation at work? Why are my emotions so all over the place? Oreos, they're really not going to help. So what's really going on? Why is my stomach so in knots. Now that sounds again easy, right? Straightforward, but it's so far away from our default position and that's because of this one pesky little emotion. We all know it. We all feel it. Lots of us live running as hard and fast away from it as we possibly can and it's this little emotion called fear, right? Difficult emotions frighten us. Recognizing difficult emotions frighten us. We're afraid of what other people will think. We're afraid of discomfort and vulnerability. Emotion, it frightens us. It overwhelms us. None of us want to be exposed. None of us want to be at risk. There's great uncertainty that comes in the midst of reckoning with emotion. So we instinctively run from pain. The other part of this whole deal is that most of our parents never taught us how to actually engage in emotion. Did your parents, no show of hands here, just think about this. Did your parents teach you how to engage in emotion? Most of them didn't. They never taught us how to engage in the discomfort of emotion, to sit in it, to tell others about it. Instead, we learned whether by example or by words to just discharge any emotion that we feel, dump them, pretend they're not really there. How many of you got told by your parents to just suck it up, put the tears away, stiff upper lip? Any of you hear that one? Stiff upper lip, knock it off with the emotion deal. We don't come by this naturally. And in a bunch of ways as well, Christianity and the church hasn't helped us in this emotional journey either. 
That's why I'm talking about this stuff so very passionately. Because the large majority of the Christian church says this about emotion. You choose. God's truth, his word, the Bible, or your emotions. You pick. You pick. The church just says they, they're incongruent. They can't coexist. So you pick. Now what in the world, Christian, do you know who's going to face that equation and not pick the Bible? It's always the right answer. You always pick the Bible, right? Because when you put it in those terms, you have to choose God's word because if you don't, well then you're a bad Christian or something. But God made you and me to be emotional creatures. God actually hardwired the emotions that you have into us. God himself feels stuff. And we're made in his image, which means that we're made to feel emotion. Not detached from emotion, not dump emotion, not pretend that emotion isn't there. Not drug emotion, not drown emotion in alcohol. And certainly, we're not made by God to have to choose God's word or what I'm feeling. I'm not talking about acting out of those feelings. That's what we're trying not to do in most cases. I'm talking about just recognizing I'm feeling something. There's something going on here. And so lots of us were brought up learning to dump what we're feeling onto others. And so we do that. Many of us have become very adept at doing that. We dump what we're feeling onto others. That causes them pain. That ironically only serves to create distance between us, the people around us, and all the while we're craving deeper emotional connection, richer emotional lives, but we just keep increasing emotional distance between us and others because we just keep discharging emotion all over the people who we love the most. And you stop doing that by bringing your emotion into the light. You get honest and you get curious. You say, I'm having an emotional reaction to that or that or that, and I really want to understand. That's plenty. That's plenty. You can stop right there. That's reckoning. And it goes very much against the grain of our culture. And it's not easy to get curious about emotional reactions. Curiosity, as you know, means vulnerability. Vulnerability means uncertainty. But guys, we were born curious we were born highly curious beings. Just watch an infant, watch a young child. How curious, unstoppably, unquenchably curious. But over time we learn, oh, curiosity leads to hurt. So does vulnerability lead to hurt. And so we choose self-protection, insulation, armoring up. We don't want any more pain, no more pain. And we get so quick to judge how many of us get so quick to judge even our own story and we judge it that snap fast, harshly too, most of the time? But getting curious means we suspend judgment. We ask the question, how do all of these experiences in my past come together to make me the person who I am? How do all the experiences in my past come together to make me the person who I am? And we're gonna practice that right now. How do all of these experiences come together to make this person who they are? And this is new for us, so we're not gonna like bring one of you up on the stage and sort that out with you right now. We're gonna, aren't you glad? We're gonna do it through the lens of the story of Moses' life to get a feel for how this works, right? His life is published, public domain, and so we're just gonna connect some dots through Moses' life. And remember, we're looking at the story of Moses' life with particular attention to the backdrop of him getting so angry. Do you know this is what happened? He got so angry that he lost the privilege of leading the people and nation of Israel into the promised land. That whole water in the rock screaming at the people and hitting the rock two times deal. He did not get to lead the people and nation of Israel into the promised land. 
It was a very, very expensive emotional blow up. Came at a great cost. And so we're going to pick up the story of Moses starting in Exodus chapter 3. The call of Moses. So set this up. He's out tending sheep one day, uh, watching his father-in-law's animals out in the desert. And all of a sudden, you remember what happens? This great big bush catches on fire, right? And it doesn't burn up. And it, well, that's weird, Moses says. And so he goes over to it. And well, Yahweh, God speaks to him through the bush. And he says this, now go for I'm sending you to Pharaoh, Exodus 3, verse 10. You must lead the people out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? What are the emotions that he's probably got a couple of emotions going on? Just call it out real loud so I can hear you. He's probably got some emotions going on there in that scene. He protests to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? What are the emotions that he's carrying around with him? Yeah, fear, yeah, self-doubt. I think I heard someone say insecurity, didn't I? I'll just abbreviate it like that. Yep, that's exactly right. Probably more, but for the sake of time, we'll keep going. And then a couple of times, Exodus 3.13, we also see Moses protesting. Exodus 4.1, he protests again. He's definitely loaded up with these emotions, isn't he? I don't want to do this, God. I don't want to do this. Now we're going to fast forward a bit in the story for the sake of time. Moses takes the job. I don't know what the pay was. It probably wasn't enough, as we'll soon discover. He takes the job. He leads the people and nation of Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt. And then you remember this story, Exodus chapter 14. They're up against the sea on one side and the army of Egyptians on the other side. Right? There's nowhere for them to go except via the sea. And so the people and nation of Israel, here's what they say, Exodus 14, starting in verse 10. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. So they're Letting Moses have it. What's he feeling now, do you suppose? The army is looming. The sea is looming. What's he feeling? Do you just set yourself into his shoes? What's he feeling? Doubt. That's exactly right. More doubt. That's exactly right. What else? Frustration. Yeah, that's a great one. I think I heard embarrassment. Yeah, you're like, what in the world? How did I get myself? That says embarrassment. I know it doesn't look like it, but it really says it. And so what happens? God parts the sea. The people and nation of Israel, they go through and the Egyptian army gets almost completely wiped out. Chariots dumped upside down, drowning people everywhere, drowning Egyptians. God delivered them. And then the story unfolds. Exodus 15, starting in verse 24. Then the people complained that they're out wandering in the desert now. And the people complained, turned against Moses. What are we going to drink? They demanded. They came to this place and it was this big pool of water and the water was rancid. It was gross water. They couldn't drink it. The animals couldn't drink it. Everyone was going to die if they drank this water. And so they let Moses have it. What's he feeling then? What's he feeling? Yeah, that's a great one. Finally, someone says it. Now he's angry, right? And God says, well, Moses, all you got to do is take this stick and throw it in that water and it'll make it all lovely water. And he does. He throws it in the water. God delivers them again. This amazing thing, miracle. And then in Exodus 16, two to three, watch this. There too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. 
There we sat around pots filled with meat, ate all the bread we wanted, but now you've brought us into the wilderness to starve us all to death. It's more of the same, right? Fear, self-doubt, insecurity, frustration, embarrassment, anger. Here we go. It goes on and on. That was right before the Lord brought them manna from heaven, bread from heaven, quail from heaven, all the meat, all the bread they could possibly eat. But in Exodus 17, it doesn't stop. So once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? It's starting to get to him, isn't it? He's yelling at him. Why are you complaining against me? And why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? They're ready to kill me. And the Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people, take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile. Call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I'll stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai, strike the rock, and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told. Water gushed out. All the elders looked on. Same deal. Fear, self-doubt, insecurity, more doubt, frustration, embarrassment, anger. Any others you want to add? Missing anything? Yeah, anxiety. That's exactly right. A whole bunch of anxiety, no doubt. Is this ever going to end? And then we come to Numbers chapter 20, verse 1. And Miriam died and was buried. Who's Miriam? Moses' sister. Aaron's sister, too. Now what's he feeling? Grief. Sadness. He's mourning And that's in Numbers chapter 20, verse 1. And look at Numbers chapter 20, verse 2. The very next verse. And there was no water for the people to drink at that place. Here we go again. So they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. The people blamed Moses and said, if only we died in the Lord's presence with our brothers. Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die along with all our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, not even any water to drink. And they've had it, Moses and Aaron have. And so you see all these dots that we've just connected. All these dots we've just connected all through the story of Moses, all these emotions that he's lugging around with him. On top of that, his sister has just died. And Moses and Aaron are going, I can't take any more. And so they go lay themselves out before God. They go to the tabernacle. They plead, God, would you please give us some relief? Our sister just died for crying out loud. And so God says, we're going to do the staff and the rock thing. So grab the staff and don't hit it this time, though, Moses. Don't hit the rock. You're just going to speak to the rock. You're going to speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. And enough water is going to come from the rock to satisfy the whole community. So Moses did as he was told, but not really, right? And he took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. And he and Aaron summoned the people. And all this emotion that Moses has been lugging around, it comes boiling to the surface. There's no more holding it in. And he screams, listen, you rebels. Listen, you rebels. And God's going like, that ain't what I said to say. Must we bring you water from this rock? He raises his hand. He strikes the rock twice. Not just once, this time twice. He's really upset. Loaded up. And water comes gushing out. And there's enough water for everyone. And here's the thing. Pain and hurt don't just go away when we don't acknowledge it. 
I've experienced this. No doubt you've experienced this. I think Moses experienced this. Anytime we leave pain unchecked, it just festers and it grows and it leads to behaviors that are completely out of line with the people who we are, the people we want to be, and it leaves wreckage in the wake behind. And a whole bunch of people these days spend a whole bunch of time trying to trick ourselves into believing that the emotions are just gone because, well, we're just ignoring them. And so we've come to be quite adept at bouncing pain and numbing hurt and stockpiling pain, and then we high center in the midst of all of that. And here's what Maya Angelou says. I just love this. She says, you may not control all the events that happen to you, but you can decide not to be reduced by them. And the opposite C of ignoring the pain is integrating, onboarding the pain into your life. Because it's really easy to believe that not talking about our pain is the safest way to keep it from defining us, but eventually the avoidance just takes over. You've all heard the expression, you're only as sick as your secrets, right? But that's way more than just an expression. Refusing to own and integrate and onboard our stories affects everything, especially our emotional health. Ask Moses. There's a whole bunch of examples. I'd invite you, encourage you to get the book, Rising Strong. Brene Brown gives a bunch of examples of how to reckon with emotion in helpful ways, on the fly, a lot of techniques, all the way down to the way that you breathe. And the invitation and the challenge today is to take this up, to reckon with the emotion. Get curious about the emotion, reckon with the emotion, recognize that it's there, and then get curious about why it's there, what happened that causes you to feel that way, that causes you to respond and react that way. And if you'll do this, it'll make an incredible difference in your interaction with your spouse, with your kids, with your colleagues, anyone, Really, and we know that it is so difficult to get up after a wicked fall, isn't it? It is wicked hard to get up after a wicked fall. And we know that this emotional reckoning is dangerous. And yet we say, in you must go. In you must go. Where does that come from? Well, there's this scene from the film, The Empire Strikes Back. Star Wars fans in the room? Any of you? Yeah. Yeah. There's this scene where Yoda is training Luke Skywalker. Some of you have no idea who Yoda is. You have no idea who Luke Skywalker is. But Yoda is training Luke Skywalker to be a Jedi Knight. Teaching him that there's two sides to the force. The ways he can honorably use the force. How the dark side of the force, anger, fear, aggression, will consume him if he doesn't reckon with it. And on a break from his training, Luke discovers a dark cave and, well... Just watch. There's something not right. I feel cold. That place is strong with the dark side of the force. A domain of evil it is. And you must go. What's in there? Only what you take with you. weapons. You will not need them. Yes. 
you and I reckoning with our own emotion in the midst of our I got my butt kicked story means you and I coming face to face with ourselves, just like Luke Skywalker did, coming face to face with the stuff that we tell ourselves about who we are, our perception of how others see us. Yeah, absolutely, we might have screwed up hugely. We might have hurt someone greatly. But what makes this stuff especially difficult, especially painful, is the tapes that play in our heads about our worth and our value, especially when we don't engage with the emotion of all that. And so, church, we reckon with emotion. We don't disengage from it. We notice we're feeling something. We get real curious about what's behind those emotions because disengaging means that we spend the rest of our lives living in the dark with somebody else writing our story for us. None of us wants that. Rising strong starts with the reckoning. It's all about the reckoning. Next week, step two of rising strong is all about the rumbling, especially with the dark emotions. We're gonna rumble next week and you'll wanna come back for that. I think you're gonna wanna buckle in for that. I think you'll probably wanna bring someone with you for that. If for no other reason, then you wanna hold them real tightly. Let's pray together. Jesus, please help us take this up that we would reckon with emotion in the ways that you call and invite and challenge us to that we wouldn't just dump it medicate it away disengage from it but that we'd actually go into it that we'd face it and that you'd show up in the midst of it and that you'd speak to our hearts and you'd help calibrate our responses to the emotion that we're feeling, God. It just tells us that we need you. We desperately need you, God.